This is Family Office Intel at Denton's, a place where we discuss developments currently shaping the industry and actual ideas for advisors, executives, and families. We share uncommon knowledge from insiders for the modern family office. I'm Edward Marshall, Global Head of Family Office here at the firm. The following is a conversation with Andrew Braithwaite. Andrew helps lead the alternative investing efforts at Sinusure, a Utah-based family office, including its direct investing strategy. He came to Sinusure from the Carlisle Group, where he spent a number of years with uh, their global financial services fund, helping source, evaluate, and manage investments across two separate private equity funds. Before Carlisle, uh, Andrew was an investment banker with Barclays, uh, working in the FIG group over there. Andrew has uh, served as a director and observer on numerous company boards and oversight committees. He also has a undergraduate degree from Merrimack College in Business Administration. Today, uh, our discussion will cover many areas, including some thoughts on how a family office evolved in direct investing and how it manages the investment process, why family offices find investing together as a particularly attractive option, and then a comparison of family office direct investment world with the private equity space. And then we'll end uh, with a little bit of a conversation of how a family office goes from managing its own capital to partnering with others to raise a fund. So Andrew, uh, let's get started. Thanks for joining. Uh, how'd you get your start in the family office space? It's a, it's a good question. You know, it, it was through relationships. And as I'm sure your, your audience knows, there isn't a formal uh, recruiting process to get into the family office world, unlike the private equity world. Uh, and so my, my foray into the family office world came from uh, two former partners of mine at Carlisle. Uh, they were they were co-founders of Sinusure, and, and it was really formed to serve the needs of one of their extended families. And when I say extended family, you know, this is a fifth generation family. There are a lot of entities, there are a lot of foundations, uh, and so it was uh, a sizable uh, opportunity, sizable capital base to to build something new around. So in terms of this, uh, the family office, why was it of interest? I mean, coming out of Carlisle, I could see you looking at a lot of other opportunities. Why, why, why the family office space? Yeah, look, there, was a, there was a few different reasons why it was interesting to, to me. And, and it's, I say that because it, it might not be interesting to everybody else. Um, you know, some of the reasons people certainly played a big role. Uh, you know, the people I work with today are, are people I really enjoy. And so, you know, whether that was in a family office environment or not, you know, people always play a huge fact uh, into that. The other, the other big piece was this was an opportunity to do something a little more entrepreneurial uh, to shape the future of, of how we were organized, what our approach was to investing. And, and there was a lot of flexibility in there. And, you know, my former firm, which was an unbelievable place and has a tremendous reputation, it's also a really large institution. And so it's a different experience, uh, you know, no better, no worse, just different. I know plenty of people that really enjoy that large setting, uh, for lack of a better term. And I know uh, plenty of people that would prefer the opposite. And, and so this was something unique. It lined up well with uh, some of my, my kind of goals and desires from a career perspective. And it was doing it alongside people that I really enjoyed. So it was 
a little, a little unique, uh, but had a lot of interest and appeal to myself personally. How different is it uh, from the private equity environment in terms of uh, the investing piece? That's a good question. So for, for us, it's quite different. But as you know, Eddie, every family office is a little bit different. Every approach to investing is a little bit different. And so, you know, if you uh, set your goals and desires up to be doing control buyout with a three to five year time horizon, I don't know if that's any different than private equity. You know, what we have, our approach is a little bit different. We're focused on partnering with founders and management owners that want to retain a meaningful stake in their business. They really believe in what they're doing. They want to grow it, but they want to partner. And, and what that means is we oftentimes end up in the minority. Uh, we oftentimes end up in some sort of structure. And so it's a, it's a little differentiated. There's much more flexibility involved. There's flexibility on time horizon as well. And so that is a little bit different than, than traditional private equity, which is just gravitated towards control buyout where we are playing uh, is different. And so that's been uh, really interesting to tackle over the last handful of years. Can you talk about how the Eccles family uh, decided to get more involved in uh, with direct investing? Was it sort of an evolutionary process for the group? It was not that uh, evolutionary. You know, this is a this is a family that's been making investments for the past 150 years uh, with a very similar approach as to what I just mentioned. Always partnering with great management teams, great founders, and, and so when Sinusure was formed, it was formed for for two purposes. One was investment management, managing the entire portfolio holistically for for the ecosystem. And then to focus on direct investments uh, with this differentiated approach, and so it, it didn't uh, didn't sporadically pop up in the in the evolution of Sinusure. When Sinusure was formed, it was really formed to tackle those two things, and and to do or or to focus on that that differentiated element that that they saw and we saw in the market. Certainly, direct investing uh, in companies can be a challenge. Um, you know, you and I have talked about the the issues with getting good amount of deal flow and a good deal flow and managing the companies once you've made the investment, depending on, on how, if it's a control position or minority, liquidity, sector expertise, a whole bunch of different factors. How do you do that within the family office? Can you talk to us about your process? Yeah, look, I, I mean, things aren't all that different than uh, if we were structured as a more traditional private equity firm. Like that, that's the team that we've built. It, it's come out of Carlisle. It's come out of Acadia. And, and so from a structure process perspective, things look very much the same. Where there are differences or, or differences to highlight, you know, deal flow is one, structure is one, and liquidity is one. So from a deal flow perspective, we're still doing a lot of the same things that we were doing before as far as uh, proactiveness and, and outreach, but the outreach is is directed in a slightly different manner. That founder or management that is looking for a partner, not an exit, that's looking for uh, oftentimes a minority stake, that's not going to a traditional investment banker. You know, where where we find opportunity, we find opportunity from pre-existing relationships. So uh, industry executives, 
current and former management teams are great referral sources. Current and former board members are great referral sources. So our, our kind of broader network is, is a big source of opportunity. And then the day-to-day advisors to these business owners. So think lawyers, accountants, financial advisors, basically anyone that has the ear of that business owner on a more regular basis than an investment banker who is oftentimes hired to just sell the whole business. And so we're, we're focusing our energy in a slightly different manner from a deal sourcing perspective, but still out there pounding the pavement in, in much of the same way as well. Uh, when it comes to structure, structure is, is certainly different. Uh, we've got a lot of flexibility in what our investments look like. We are still shooting for private equity-like returns but how we get there is quite different. And so I, I don't I don't necessarily view that as a challenge so much as opportunity, right? It's, an, it's a chance for you to differentiate yourselves, just differentiate your approach uh, to create a win-win situation. And so while, while some might view that as a, a challenge, I view that as a real positive. Uh, and then lastly, you know, on the liquidity piece, you talked about, you know, you've got to, You've got to be open-minded when it comes to liquidity and how you structure that. We we never paint ourselves in a corner. We are upholding our return expectations on every deal. But, but once again, we've got some flexibility there, uh, which, once again, I don't view that necessarily as a challenge so much as a as an opportunity with with the approach we've taken. In terms of deal flow, what's been the difference uh, that you've noticed? in your own situation, going from a larger organization to a, a, you know, certainly a much smaller and more nimble family office group of being able to source the right kind of deal flow that you're looking for. And have you seen any challenges in that aspect or maybe have worked with other family offices that have experienced either best practices or, 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 or um, less than optimal access to deal flow and and where can you get them? and where can you make up for it when you're not at a big outfit? Look, when, when you know, at my former firm, it was a, a really large institution. If it was an, an investment banker process, you always got a call, right? There was always inbounds. Um, and look, there was always inbounds for situations where you were essentially selling the or buying the whole business. Today, we are a much smaller entity. We are not well known. And, and so the, one of the biggest pieces of, of deal sourcing is simply getting your message out there and, and getting your message out there around points of differentiation. If I was picking up the phone and, and calling a, a financial advisor or an accountant or a lawyer and saying, hey, look, we do uh, middle market control buyout, I, I'm, I'm sure they've got a ton of other people they could equally call and and most of the opportunities they they see would go to a investment bank in which case they they've probably got a thousand middle market firms they could call and so the biggest piece of deal sourcing for us has been you know get your message out and get your message out as to why you're different there are not a lot of people out there who are are doing flexible structures and minority positions with founders and management owners that have flexibility on time horizon. 
that's not to say there's no one out there doing it because that, that would be a, a lie, but it's just a, a shallower pool. And if you can get your message out, uh, you'll have opportunities starting to come in. And so, you know, when you talk about deal flow, I, I'd say one, you have to be really proactive and two, you have to have a crisp message around your points of differentiation. So when opportunities come up, you are that first call or you are that logical call, if that makes sense. Uh, does what, what what do you give to the notion of family offices being patient capital? You've certainly seen it on the institutional side. What what is your thoughts uh, as, as to that label or moniker? We used to we we used to say we are patient capital, and then we quickly realized that was the wrong uh, wrong terminology. Uh, we now go by timeline agnostic, which I think is is probably the the right approach. And it's the approach I think most people mean when they say patient, which is they've got the ability to hold longer, but that's predicated on a variety of things. Occasionally, occasionally you'll bump into a family office that just says, hey, look, you know, we're happy to hold it forever as long as we're making six to eight percent, right? They've just got a, they've got a different return hurdle in there, which gives them the ability to likely hold things longer. That's a little different than where we are. We are uh, shooting for a private equity like returns, it's really hard to compound that 20% plus a year for 10, 20, 30, 40 years. If you can do that, we'd love to hold it for as long as possible. But at some point, usually growth slows down and our cost of capital becomes too expensive. You know, one of the really good things about our approach and the alignment that it creates is, you know, that, that, is the same rationale or thinking that happens to that founder or management owner, which is they've got their net worth in the business. If they're no longer compounding at returns that they find attractive, they equally start to think about exit. And so uh, we like to say timeline agnostic because it, it could be a short period of time, could be a long period of time, but there's flexibility in there. The other piece that's probably worth touching on within that is look from time to time, whether it's a, a buyer that has a tremendous amount of synergy, whether it's market or rationality, uh, from time to time, you will inevitably get offers that far exceed what you think the business is worth or far exceed what you think you'll, you'll do over the next few years on your own. Right. It doesn't mean that you can bring on a partner and do something more, but you've kind of lived that life of the investment and somebody's willing to pay you for your next few years of, of work up front. And you got to make a hard decision as to whether it's the right time to exit or not. And once again, the founder or that management owner is making that same decision. They've got their net worth in the business. They're looking at what they can do on their own. They're looking what what they can do by taking some chips off the table. And, and that's always an open conversation and dialogue. And, and look, that might lead you to exit in three, four years versus seven or eight. Um, so once again, having flexibility around time horizon, I, I think is the important piece. Patience can certainly be part of that, but it's the flexibility on on timeline that I think is more important. You talked about a couple of factors there that have have helped you along the way. What do you attribute the success of you know your family office as an investor? I mean, are there some 
good other good best practices that someone could uh, pick up and follow and potentially learn from from what you're doing? I don't know if this is necessarily specific to family offices. It, it certainly is probably has more relevance for it, but I don't know if it's specific to it, which is, you know, why are you going to be the right partner? How do you define your investment strategy and your points of differentiation? You know, said another way, why are you going to win? And, you know, in a, in a family office role, I think more often than not, you've got more of a blank canvas to define that. There are certainly some families that have a very specific goal or objective in mind, and and they might simply say, "Hey, look, we we do control buyout, but we can hold things for longer if we want to," and that's our that's our approach. But I think more often than not, you know, the family office world is a little bit more of a blank canvas. And so, what I'd say is, spend a lot of time thinking about your points of differentiation, why you'll be the right capital partner how you're going to create and build value together. Because without a crisp message around that, without a crisp approach, I, I think you can quickly find yourself lost with a number of other capital providers out there. In terms of your family office, it, it certainly evolved from investing its own capital to working with other families and taking another uh, step in that direction with uh, with the fund. Talk to us about how that how that's come across uh, and that that uh, that evolution has taken place. Yeah, it, it, it really has been an evolution when you know, we started uh, with with one family or their broader, broader ecosystem that evolved. We, there were outside families, outside friends of the firm saw what we were doing. They started to participate on a deal by deal basis uh, that grew into more and more outside families. Some of those outside families ended up on short-term commitments and then eventually uh, last year migrated into a, a slightly more traditional fund construct. There are certainly some some unique attributes that are, are quite LP friendly in there that, that are based off of the heritage of deal by deal. But for, for simplistic sake, it, it is largely a traditional fund and we migrated in that direction. It ended up benefiting the outside families more so than not. And so it became one more step in the evolution where we could provide a better offering to those outside families where we could enhance alignment between ourselves, where we could remove administrative burden on their part. And so it was a, a natural evolution in, in providing our various outside families with a, a better offering, a better product for lack of a better term. What does that look like today? How, how did that take, uh, how did that take shape? Today, today it looks, uh, looks and feels very much like a traditional fund. And, and so the outside families commit to a, a investment vehicle that we manage. Uh, our anchor family commits to the same vehicle. And so everyone's in the same camp. And, you know, the reason why we migrated to that structure or one of the big reasons was when we looked at all of our activity from a deal flow perspective over the last few years, the, the same families were coming in on every opportunity. And so this, this had the opportunity to eliminate a, a ton of administrative burden, both on them and us. It also allowed us to add some 
uh, LP friendly attributes around around the Cohenbest side and around uh, how some of the performance incentives are structured. And so it was it was just the next step in in our evolution where we were able to continue to strengthen our our ties to this these various uh, outside families. There are also outside institutions that now come into it. And so it, it, it migrated to a slightly more traditional fund, uh, basically because that was what was best for um, the outside families and institutions. Is there, and I don't know if how much detail you can provide and feel free to keep it very high level, but is there a, a, a thesis that you can share for, for this, uh, for this fund? Well, look, the, the strategy and approach, which, is, which I think is what you're are asking or getting at uh, yep. is consistent with what we've done uh, since the beginning. So nothing has changed. Nothing has changed from a strategy or approach. We're still focused on partnering with founders or management that want to retain a meaningful stake in their business, that we see an opportunity to create value together. Uh, these are all still North American businesses. Our check size hasn't changed. And so nothing, you know, there are, there's no difference from what we're doing from an investment approach perspective today versus three years ago versus five years ago, et cetera. It's really just how it's administered is a little bit different and and that's it. So, you know, no one's signing up for something new. No one's saying, Hey, they've changed their stripes. Uh, Everything's the same and, and consistent. It's just how it's packaged. Uh, is a little more efficient than than what it once was. Makes sense. You know, in terms of family offices investing with other family offices, what are the advantages that you've you've seen now that you've been on the inside? And are there potential pitfalls for people to consider as they're looking at that kind of a that kind of an ordeal? Yeah, there there are. There's a few different points I'd probably highlight. You know, one is um, you know depending on on your level of uh, direct investment comfort. Uh, and by that, I mean, you know, are you actively sourcing, diligencing, managing, exiting, et cetera, in, in direct investments or not? If you are, uh, I, I think, you know, there's a tremendous opportunity to work with other families. There's a, families see a lot of opportunities. They've got different expertise, different skill sets. A lot of families don't have investment teams on staff or, or have very slim ones. And so there's a lot of opportunity to collaborate and partner in a very collaborative manner, right? Not in a competitive manner, but in a co- collaborative one. And so the, the family office world offers a lot of opportunity to to partner with each other. The other piece I would say or highlight is, you know, if you're if you're in a slightly different seat on the family office side where you are uh, not executing, but want to kind of co-invest to someone or want to allocate to someone, the family office world offers up a lot of different flavors. And, and we talked about, you know, kind of that whiteboard of, of a minute ago. There are a lot of different families out there doing a lot of different things. And so I, I think you've got the ability to, to pick and choose who your partners are going to be, why you want to be partnered with them, 
and are they truly like-minded or not? And so the, the family office world just provides more, uh, more opportunity to pick and choose what fits best with your investment style or, or what fits best with your the goals and desires that you have for your uh, family office. So in terms of somebody that wanted to get into the space, let's say they wanted to work in, in investing, whether it's the kind of investing that you do or elsewise, what would your recommendations be to somebody that was interested in, in, in getting involved in that? It's a good question. Uh, you know, because there isn't this open recruiting forum or because there's a little bit of opaqueness around the industry, I have to think that it's it's just through networking and look, you know, talking to people like you who who talk to hundreds, if not thousands, of family offices over the course of a year, uh, you'll you'll see which ones are growing, which ones are adding, et cetera. And so, uh, you know, if you want to get into that world, I really do think it's through relationship, through networks, and and you know, pounding the pavement for lack of a better term to to get your foot in that door. Um, you know, what I w- will say is once you're, once you're in it, it, it is quite collaborative. Uh, people are quite open. There's a lot of networking, a lot of introductions, et cetera. And so your, your network of those names grows uh, exponentially pretty quick. And so just getting your foot in the door, I think is the biggest thing. Now, in terms of lessons learned, thinking back to when you got started in your investing career, uh, compared to what you know today, what are some things that you wish you had known back then uh, that are just second nature to you today? Good question. I, you know, the, when I think of lessons learned, uh, and, and this is something that is kind of ongoing, and so I don't, I don't know whether, I don't whether, know whether it's revolutionary when you're starting your career, but I think it, I think it resonates more and more as you age, which is. Uh, there are a lot of smarter people out there than than you and I, and surrounding yourselves with those people, bringing more of those people to the table on on opportunities, uh, I, I just becomes more and more important in my mind. Gives you different perspective, and and I think there's just a greater emphasis on that today for me than than maybe in the past, and that probably just comes from maturity more than anything. Uh, the other thing is a better understanding of alignment. And you, you hear the word alignment a lot with our approach and, and our entire strategy is built around that. I think alignment is incredibly important. It, it, it's great to be aligned with, with your investment partners, your management teams, et cetera. When things are going good, you can enjoy all of those spoils together. I think it's even that much more important to be aligned when things aren't going great, to to be in the trenches with somebody in lockstep working through that is is that much more important to to make sure that your uh, less than uh, perfect investments become good ones. And there's more opportunity to salvage outcomes, to to turn a okay investment into a good one, to turn a good one into a great one when you have that alignment. So, yeah, smart people would be certainly one and getting alignment right would be, would be the other for me. And that alignment to help you weather some of those storms. Yeah, no, that's, that's right. 
That's right. And, and look, you know, it, one of my partners who came from uh, essentially control only situations always makes the analogy or, or anecdote that when they bought businesses and they controlled them, his jokes were always funny. And, and when you're partnering with folks, when you're making minority investments, oftentimes he said, you, you quickly know when your jokes aren't funny. And so it's a very different approach. And uh, I, I do think ultimately it leads to much better outcomes when you're collaborating in lockstep with full transparency and full honesty. Well, uh, Andrew, thank you. Um, and thanks to all of you for listening today. If you'd like to get in touch with Andrew or you have any questions, do send us an email to familyoffice@dentons.com. If you enjoyed today's conversation or are so inclined, subscribe to our channel, review us on Apple Podcasts, follow us on Spotify, or keep in touch with us wherever you prefer to listen to podcasts. As always, sharing this episode is very much appreciated and probably the best way that you can show your support. To sign up for our newsletters and learn more about our solutions and research in the family office space, do check out our website. That is dentons.com forward slash family office. That's it. Bye, everyone. Bye.